The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. If you're just now joining us, we hope you'll follow us and check out our previous episodes, all 200 of them. We're in season seven where we're writing the consumer health playbook and answering the questions, who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about the big picture. How do we see financial and staffing shortages differently when we zoom out and ask why we should be consumer first? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I welcome a trio of guests to share six trends around digital transformation that they're following closely. Paul Schrimpf, Jeff Gorgie, and Priya Aneja lead the healthcare team at Profit, and they're in the house to share some provocative thinking about change that's being caused by the usual suspects of rising consumer and patient expectations, ever-advancing technology, and intensifying perennial pressures to reduce costs and increase access. What I really like is that they dig deep into areas that we might not typically associate with digital transformation and explain how they can have a big impact. All right, it's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Let's zoom out for a moment and look at the landscape that's facing our hospitals and health systems. Then let's come back to the question that we've been addressing a lot lately of why should healthcare be consumer first? Because before we ask how to build the healthcare of tomorrow, we need to understand why it's changing. Exploring what's coming helps us address what's right in front of us. First, hospitals and health systems are on an unsustainable trajectory as they're now struggling under the weight of historic financial pressures and staffing shortages. According to Kaufman Hall, January was a challenging month for hospitals as they dealt with the Omicron surge, leading to hospital margins being negative for the first time in 11 months. Get this, their median operating margin index in January was negative 3.68%. As hospitals delayed non-urgent and outpatient care to manage the COVID-19 surge, providers saw a drop in outpatient volumes and revenue. On top of that, Becker's just reported that 892 hospitals, or more than 40% of rural hospitals in the U.S., are either at immediate or high risk of closure. These hospitals either have lower financial reserves or high dependence on non-patient service revenues, such as local taxes or state subsidies, according to a report from the Center for Healthcare Quality and Payment Reform. To compound everything is the elephant in the room, historic staffing shortages. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics and other sources, 524,000 healthcare workers have left their jobs since the beginning of the pandemic. And this doesn't show any signs of changing direction anytime soon. Second, consumers have more choices that offer a higher level of convenience and a better care experience. These days, it seems like we can get everything delivered to our door or picked up curbside. So why does healthcare often still feel inconvenient at best and downright scary at worst? According to a study conducted by Profit, 81% of consumers are dissatisfied with their healthcare experiences. 
Many hospital leaders loathe comparisons to retail brands like Walmart, Walgreens, Amazon, CVS, Best Buy, and Dollar General. Many of us refer to these brands as disruptors, despite the fact that their 1.0 attempts at retail health haven't all been home runs. It's easy to be dismissive of big retail because we don't associate their brands with medical expertise. But medicine wasn't built around a pleasant consumer experience. And I'm not sure how wise it is to underestimate these disruptors when they have the capital to create the convenient, connected, personalized experience that health systems have been talking about for a long time and not really making a lot of progress. Plus, these retail brands don't have the technical debt preventing them from scaling these efforts. Third, and we should probably be talking about this more often, more Americans are enrolling in high-deductible health plans, creating a cash economy for healthcare services. According to LendingTree, 52.9% of American private sector workers were enrolled in high-deductible health plans in 2020, up from 39.4% just five years earlier. High-deductible health plans give consumers an incentive to be more selective. So what's the big picture? We're looking at a future that is not as hospital-centric. Whether it's two years, 10 years, or 20 years in the future, that's the trajectory right now. The thing is, I think this can still be a win for everybody. When consumers win, it doesn't mean that providers or hospitals have to lose. We can all benefit from a different, digitally enabled, higher service level version of healthcare. When primary care gets slowly carved off to retailers and disruptors, that doesn't mean that referral pathways have to die off. It simply means that marketers get to be more creative and use the tools and data at their disposal to better understand and engage with consumers. I also predict that this combination of factors will lead human-centered design to come to the mainstream of healthcare strategy rather than living in innovation labs and committees. Let's keep our eye on the big picture when we answer the question of why healthcare should be consumer first. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. The flow, the flow, the flow. Okay, hey, let's get into the flow. Uh, give it up for our panel today. We've got a real special episode here. We've got Paul, Jeff, and Priya. We're going to let themselves introduce each other here in a moment. Uh, but they're all from Profit, a really cool group. Uh, I think a lot of you listening already are familiar with Profit and the work they do here in the uh, in the business transformation space. Zane is here. Zane's in the house. We're going hey, to have just like a total party here, uh, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And uh, let, let's let you introduce yourselves. We don't need to hear from me anymore. Let, we're going to dive into some really cool predictions, all based on a blog article that you collectively wrote and put out there a few weeks ago. And, and we really want to hear a little bit more about where these predictions came from and, and what you're and you know, what you're thinking about where healthcare is headed. So with that, Paul, do you want to get started here and then uh, just kind of introduce yourselves? Tell us a little bit about anything in your bio that we may have missed that listeners would want to know. Yeah, sure. This will be fun because I get to introduce myself and normally I give my title, which is the exact same as Jeff and Priya's. So that won't tell you anything unique <laughs> about me versus the other two. But uh, among us, I'm not the book writer. I can dabble more in bite-sized content. I've got my little podcast on the side with microdosing, which is a lot of fun. Learned a long time ago that I get a lot of energy from conversations like this. And with podcasting, it made it very simple. Like, oh, I can record these conversations and share them and we can get more value out of them. So what's not in my bio is I just love this dialogue. When I get off this call and this conversation, I've got, you know, a 10 in energy. So looking forward to this one. And I'll leave it at that. Priya, do you want to do your introduction? Hey, sure. Great to meet you all on the line here. I'm Priya and Aja. I've been working in healthcare for, geez, a pretty long time and looking forward to sharing a little bit with all of you around that today. 
Well, good. I'm, I'm, I'm Jeff Gorgi, and I've had the pleasure of working with these two for a long time. And we have a lot of, three of us spend a lot of time dialoguing with one another. And every once in a while, it dawns on me that someone else might actually be finding it interesting to hear the three of us riff and ramble. So glad to have the opportunity to do that. I wrote a book, and, and Jared's listeners know, called uh, Making the Healthcare Shift, Transformation to Consumer Centricity. So this has been a topic of kind of my own personal interest for, for quite some time and, and happy to continue to research the topic, learn about the topic, and uh, you know share insight when I can on the topic. Had that book not been written, we may not be having this conversation because that book got the conversation with Healthcare Wrap to our relationship with Jared and our conversation today. It's that powerful. There you go. Well, it's, like, it's, it's still right here. It's right sure. here on my bookshelf. Hopefully I sent you that book here. I didn't make you buy it. I didn't get a copy, Jeff. I All right, read so it. I'll hook you up. All you got to do is promise to read, to read it. I promise I will. Yes, absolutely. For sure. See, like I said, party time already. What about, let, let's break the ice a little bit further and then we're going to dive right into the predictions here. But can you each tell us something that get, gets you out of bed in the morning? And that can be as literal or as figurative as you want. I'll go the literal route, which is the need to beat my wife to the treadmill in the morning. Because since the uh, pandemic, we quit the gym, we built our own. We thought that was great, solve all of our problems. But now it means we have to compete to get down in the morning. So I'm usually the early riser because if I see her rolling, I need to run out of bed and get downstairs and get a treadmill and beat her to it. I'll be pretty literal too, but I'm going to give a shout out to my favorite local roastery. It's called Cilantro in Connecticut. And they've got just about every kind of coffee, single origin or blend imaginable. And they truly get me out of bed. So that's mine. Love love that. When Jared asked me that question, I said coffee too. So I love it. (laughs) I have to go just the concept of my time. I've learned that once the day starts or goes in the evening, there's other things that's not mine. It's my kids, mm-hmm. it's work, it's a text, it's something where I'm out of energy. And just getting up early where there's nobody calling me, there's no meetings, and I just got one good hour, usually exercising, maybe it's a walk. It's I equate it to that scene in and Goonies, if you if for those that know Goonies, where they're in the well going up there, up there is their time, and down here is our time. That first hour of the morning, that's that's my time, and that gets me out of bed. And if I don't get out of bed, I don't I don't get my time. Well, props for a movie reference too. So uh, mm-hmm. nice, I like the style points there. Why don't we dive in right here? Because uh, the three of you penned an article here recently that was titled "The Healthcare Industry in 2022." It's up on the Profit Blog for people to check. Then it's uh, "What's Ahead," and it starts off asking if 2022 will be the year that the new normal finally kicks in. And I think that's a fascinating open-ended question that we're all waiting for somebody out there in the ether to answer for us when nobody really knows. But to that end, there were six trends in the healthcare industry that the three of you wrote about. And why don't we dive into these? Uh, The first one's that we will stop talking about virtual care. And uh, Priya, I think you want to get us started on this one. You want to run through kind of what the prediction is and then any insights that led up to that for you. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, you all remember a time, I hope you remember a time, when cable television and streaming were what we kind of called TV. And now it's just TV. Before we called mobile phones, mobile phones, and now they're just phones. And online retail and e-commerce have now reverted to just being plain old retail. And so we're putting it out there that virtual care is just going to become care. I read a study a couple of years ago that said something like 80% of mid to large size employers uh, had a telehealth solution in place. Only 8% of their employees were using that solution. 
fast forwarded today and it's like three fifths of all consumers have had a telehealth experience, you know, after the pandemic. And so that's really changed how people think about care. It's not, do I go get physical care? Do I get virtual care? It's all just care. And what way that makes sense to me in the moment in my my life and the need state of my life I'm in at that second, that's what really determines how we how we think about care now. It's a critical and unstoppable trend is the perspective that the three of us have about it. Yeah, it's interesting because people are still kind of holding on to it. Even digital health, it's, it's sounding very weird to me. It just happened last week, Vive and Hims, and Vive is new. And we're all trying to figure out where it fits in the portfolio of healthcare conferences. And somebody goes, oh, is that like the, the digital health conference? Like, oh, there's digital and non-digital health conferences still? Like, I don't think sure, that's a sure. thing anymore. So we'll see where it goes. I, I always laughed. I had, um, we did a virtual care panel last year, early last year, about this time. And Jamie Edwards was on. He was the CEO of Cloudbreak Health. They've got acquired. Now he's the CEO of uh, Startup Health. But he's like, when, when stethoscopes rolled out, God knows when, we didn't call it like stethocare. Like at sure, some point, sure. it just becomes a, the new way of care. And that's kind of what, to Priya's point, we're, we're putting out there as a prediction in, in this coming year. I'll add one thing to, to what Paul said. You know, our clients over at Teladoc are doing some really cool work in this space. They've moved away from just talking about virtual care. They're talking about primary care now, right? Mm-hmm. Primary care isn't something you just get when you go to the doctor's office. That's something that can be delivered through virtual now too. So lots of kind of blending and merging in this space. I love it. You know, when I think about some of the health systems that I've worked with in the past and stay in touch with, a lot of them now, to all your points, are moving away from talking about the technology itself. They know it's there now figuring like, where do we apply this technology and in more ways, whether it be in primary care, occupational health, you know, for value-based care, things, remote patient monitoring, mental health, you name it. And so definitely think that's a prediction that's going to come true. And I think you also see too in the organizational structures of especially legacy health systems, that digital piece is becoming more and more ingrained where you may not actually have a chief digital officer anymore. It's just the strategy officer that's working with IT to ingrain these consumer first modalities across the system. And so I think you guys are spot on. Yeah. Well, and and as more people get comfortable, we are beginning to hate the term hybrid because it means nothing. It's just like, it's not this one, it's that one, it's both. But also knowing that it's not all or nothing. So if you're a surgeon, you're not going to do a lot of virtual surgeries. It's out there. You might do a physical round in the med surge wing, but after that, you can do virtual roundings, you know, so there, there's a way to kind of balance it. And I think people are beginning to understand it's not a complete digital world or complete physical, but what can be digital, what still needs to be physical and get that balance right. Love it. Next on the list, looks like you all made some predictions around labor, which of course isn't an issue at all right now in healthcare. Yeah. Jeff, want to talk to us about that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to your point, Zane, every this is a this is the topic that everyone's talking about. And hundred percent. Increasingly increasingly our clients are saying their biggest barrier is no longer patient volume, it's it's the talent to to service and support it, as you know. And you know, new themes about workplace violence on top mm-hmm. of the themes we've all heard about with, you know, lack of equipment and overworked, et cetera. But our prediction here is that the key to solving this is going outside of the category, so to speak, right? Mm. You can't win the war for talent anymore by fighting over a shrinking pie, right? Sure. Some estimate 900,000 nurses are leaving the profession. 
physicians are burning out, non-clinical positions that people are getting, you know, stolen by other talent. So the question is no longer, how do I have a better employee value proposition than the other health system across the town? Mm-hmm. Or how do I have a better proposition to hire the nursing students coming out than the next person trying to hire those nursing students? That's still part of it. But in the old CPG days, we used to say, the real key is not how do you fight for market share of our shrinking category, it's how do you grow the category? Sure. And I think that realization is gonna to come to the talent war in healthcare. So what does that mean? It means we have to, for health systems looking for talent, they have to make it attractive to work in a health system. One stat from this week's New York Times, it was new to me, uh, the, direct, uh, the number, only 54% of nurses actually work for a health system. They work for empl- large employers. They work mm. for retailers. They work for technology companies. So right off the bat, there's a place to start. How do you make nurses actually want to work for healthcare systems again? Right? Sure. But the broader point is how do you make all kinds of talented people, whether they're administrative professionals, whether they're finance experts, whether they're marketing experts, whether they're clinical workers, want to actually work and be excited about delivering care? I like that. You know, uh, we we had Kelly Gill on the podcast not too long ago. He's a recruiter and he, uh, he usually recruits for digital health types of roles. And he spent a lot of time talking to us about you know, not only some of the very tactical things that health systems need to do, but also spoke to us about the culture of health systems probably isn't terribly conducive to hiring the best and the brightest out of Silicon Valley or even sort of millennials and Gen Zs, right, who are getting into the industry. So curious if you all see that as well in your work. Well, I think that's right. I think that, you know, it, it speaks to thinking about a new competitor for talent, right? Sure. And what does it take to get the best and the brightest, right? In some some organizations, some of the academic medical centers, for example, they're able to attract the best and the brightest, you know, clinicians. And that's absolutely critical and core to their reputation, right? But for anyone who's an HR professional, finance professional, a marketing professional, you know, working for a health system isn't necessarily, you know, the, the, the top of the, of the mountain. And that's a problem, right? This, sure. I think everyone on this phone believes this is anyone listening. This, this is a noblest of noble professions. And, and yeah. Yeah. so that certainly speaks to the non-clinical. On the clinical side, where the most acute problems are, again, how do we keep people from leaving the profession? How do we grow the category of people that want to work in healthcare rather than just competing for those, you know, and stealing nurses from across town by paying an extra buck fifty or two dollars an hour and then having them do the same in reverse? Yeah, it's compounding in a number of areas. It's it's easier to go into the hospital space. We're seeing that in spades in, in the pharmacy area. I think the the COVID wave of shortage of pharmacists and techs, and then sure. on top of that, administer the volume of COVID vaccines. You're really seeing a breaking point in that area. And then the other piece is not just the non-clinical, but the non-clinical hourly. So when you walk into your typical hospital, everybody's kind of wearing the same scrubs, but chances are the person doing the the cleaning is from Aramark. The person doing the clinical engineering is from Sodexo. The person serving you food is from Compass. And those are really hard to attract because they're competing with the Amazons, the Targets, the Starbucks that are probably winning, although they probably wouldn't say we're the hourly wage worker, but how do we rethink that workforce? How do you drive more automation into the distribution area? How do you think about fragmented workforces? 
a great organization out there I've been watching for a while. It's Part Source. They just got bought by Bing Capital. They're in the clinical engineering space, but it's like it's an Amazon meets Uber drivers for uh, hospital parts that are normally tied up by the trimedics of the world or through the OEMs for GE Phillips. But it's a way to kind of right size a workforce that's a little bit more nimble using digital as well as, you know, how do we think about digital solutions for some of these? Most people have been talking about, oh, uh, digital is going to replace people. Well, we need people right now. How do you use <laughs> right. digital to fill the open spots? <laughs> right, right. No, I like that. Two anecdotes, I'm sure. One is health system I'm very familiar with, where I used to work, actually. I was talking about their pharmacy team, and they were telling me they were losing a lot of their techs to uh, cannabis farms. <laughs> That just pay so much more, and a wow. bunch of their get it, yeah, a bunch of their pharma- pharmaceutical techs walked off to go and make more money, you know, harvesting cannabis, which is interesting. The second thing I'll share, maybe just as an anecdote, is I still feel like, especially when I talk to like students and people that are trying to get into healthcare or thinking about healthcare, they don't really understand all the different roles that are out there. Like for example, I had no idea that the current job I'm in or roles that you all have existed when I was an undergrad or even the early days of my graduate degree. So I think the industry needs to do a lot more work at elucidating the fact that there's more than just doctors and nurses in healthcare, but there's all now these cool administrative roles, innovation roles, and and frankly, even other clinical roles that people could pursue and and do really well in. Right. And and right, you mentioned something that I'm a fan of in the cracks there, which is nurse practitioners and physician assistants, I think, are underutilized in this Mm. new wave of healthcare. You're relying on way too many things for physicians. Nurses are overworked and you've got this immensely talented pool of physician uh, assistants that that could be doing more if we kind of got her out of our own way with policies. 100%. Totally agree. And I know there's a lot of internal cultural issues and strife between different roles and hospital systems that contribute to that. Okay. There's so much good stuff in this prediction report. So I want to move on to the next one. Looks like you all have come up with some some thoughts around home care and diagnostics. Tell us where you see the industry going there. Yeah, this is a a fun space. Is really what COVID has driven and what we talk about virtual care it's really this decentralization of healthcare. I mean, sure. we, those of us are in metropolitan areas. You can think of the leading hospital, and that's really a campus. There's really some non-hospital operations where you go there for your doctor's office and labs are done, but you kind of go to that same kind of neighborhood. Whereas now we're seeing more diagnostics being done at home, more lab results being done at home. It's easy to pick on the the COVID tests to being sent and sent back and things of that nature. That's going to continue to grow. The other piece is compounding the shift is how do we get better therapy and treatment at home because normally it's just kind of monitoring and and kind of uh, staying on top of what's going on with diagnostics and then getting more out of the home setting. And I think one of the more interesting spaces that really captures what's about to happen is, is Fresenius, CVS is in the mix, a lot of dialysis shops. Lisa Rometty, uh, head of CVS Kidney Care, will be speaking at Vive in a couple of weeks and be touching on this, but getting dialysis at home. And when you think of uh, chronic kidney care and dialysis centers, when you go on to dialysis and need to do treatment, 
you know, three, four, five times a week and you have to go to a clinic and back, it really wrecks your schedule. So not only do you have a condition that you have to manage, try holding down a full-time job with all of that. But how do we get some of that heavy infrastructure that you get with a, you know, dialysis clinic into the home? And then you can kind of think through all the other things that we could be doing at the home where it's just not a nurse swinging by and checking on you to make sure that you've taken your meds or that your blood pressure is right. But we begin to do a little bit of an extension of a hospital, a clinic, a physician office. So you're actually getting treatment at home and you're able to kind of maintain some kind of normalcy of your life. You know, Paul, I'll also just add on to the uh, at home testing side of things. Yeah. I always think back to uh, the example of, of the woman who founded Modern Fertility, right? Which mm-hmm. uh, which I think was acquired by Roe. You know, what's so great about, about the way she's just approached this problem is taking matters into her own hands. You know, the, the challenge with the fertility situation is it's a chicken and egg situation. You don't get to go and get tested uh, about whether you've got a challenge until it's almost too late. So why not take that and put it back into the consumer's hands? Let give them a chance to to control the the dialogue and the destiny yep. instead of like working through the, the you know the quagmire of the healthcare system. So just very inspiring example. I think we're going to see lots and lots more of it. Yep. It's happening already. And the the bigger players are getting in on it. LabCorp I think has bought up a couple of apps in this space that are related to kind of melding the at-home testing and mm-hmm. um, and diagnostic kits with with tracking too. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I see, you know, look at like what Everlywell is doing down out of Texas and they acquired a more traditional lab to allow them to do more things. And actually a prediction that Jared and I made at the beginning of our seasons, we talked about, you know, how more and more patients will probably take care into their own hands. And to your point, Priya, it was the sort of at-home lab testing that made me realize that as people want to understand their health proactively and not only seek to fix themselves in the case that they feel there's an issue, but optimize their health. And so, for example, like at some point in the next few days, I plan on ordering Everly Wells um, at-home men men's health testing kit because i just want to see like i have no idea you know where my blood work is at beyond some reports i can't really read from from my primary care physician (laughs) and so i think that's definitely coming for sure and will be one to watch and apparently amazon is rumored to be working on an at-home diagnostic service as well probably going to compare it with amazon care or maybe they'll just buy everly well or something like that who knows yeah i really think we're just starting to see the crest of that wave and and there's a lot more to come there Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Healthcare marketers juggling lots to do. Gotta keep patients healthy. Coming back to you, knowing which words will lead more patients to act is not an easy feat, as a matter of fact. Competition heating up, new players on the rise. Persado has the right words already optimized. Just plug in the content, turn it on, and your campaign blues will soon be gone. Persado provides healthcare organizations with pre-developed, pre-optimized marketing messaging focused on improving health goals and business objectives. Persado's journey-based content uses the right words proven to drive conversions among the customers that matter most. Visit persado.com to learn more. That's persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com. Healthcare is an industry where women make 80% of buying decisions and are 65% of the workforce. 
Yet women are notably underrepresented in industry leadership, making up approximately 30% of C-suite teams and just 13% of CEOs. The Hit Like a Girl podcast ensures that more women's voices from healthcare and health IT are heard in an effort to inform policy as well as to help more women advance within the industry. I'm the show's founder and host, Joy Rios, and I interview women leaders to amplify their work. New episodes are released weekly on Mondays and Thursdays, and you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Health Podcast Network, or wherever you tune in. To find out more, you can follow us on social media or go to hitlikeagirlpod.com. Okay, back to the flow. So real quick, before we get into the next prediction, I want to break for a moment and brag a little on the three of you and share a little about your upcoming podcast, Healthcare Transformers. Paul, can you share a little bit about that with us? Do you mind uh, kind of describing the show for us and, and what do you hope listeners will get out of it? Yeah, it's it's exciting for us to to move into that space because again, these conversations are so rich and you understand different contexts in a conversation you don't often get in a report. But, but Profit's been doing a lot of transformation in the space for a long time. And we're seeing just so many repeat patterns. It's not so much what the business is going through, but what individuals are going through. When you're actually doing transformation, and I, and I kind of put it this way, transformations suck. They hurt. If you don't need to do one, don't do one. Some people confuse innovation with transformation or evolution with transformation. But there's a lot of organizations realizing they're pointed in the wrong direction in a shrinking market. And they got to think of new business models and really compete with the different competitors. And that trajectory has a high degree of uncertainty. You need to go on it. There's, there is a path to success there. But the leaders get a little confused. And when they get confused, the employees are like, well, what are you doing if you don't know what's going on? It's all perfectly normal with transformation is just trying to get to that next stage. But really getting leaders who have gone through transformation in the process of it to share their personal stories, to share trick tips, to share watchouts, but really help the community of the modern progressive healthcare transformer be more effective in their roles and ensure there's more successful transformations out there in healthcare. Because we all know if there's more successful healthcare transformations, that improves the patient experience, that improves B2B relationships in the back end. So that's really what it's all about is really elevating some of these really amazing healthcare transformers out there and sharing their stories and creating a little bit of community around that space. Well, I'm really impressed with how much you're able to pack into each episode. Your first episode with Dr. Nishi Rawat from Bamboo Health. It's uh, it's really great a little series there they've got going. So really excited to share that and invite listeners to subscribe on their favorite podcasting app or platform or wherever they listen. I'm amazed that she was almost a Canadian astronaut. The people we're talking to are insanely brilliant. Canadians are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 Zane? I'm just going to put that out there. I'll plus one that. Hey, you know, <laughs> I like that. Cool. And then, uh, and then Jeff, I, I also failed to mention right at the very beginning, kind of a little bit more about what Profit does. If you have a, a moment there to just kind of give us a little bit deeper in terms of what type of, of work does Profit do and, and what would be of interest to our listeners? Yeah. Thank you, Jared, for that question. Yeah. So Profit is a growth and digital transformation firm. We are helping our clients, frankly, grow better. That's kind of our organizing idea. How do we help them organize and grow better through a number of different, uh, a number of kind of different solutions that we help them with? 
you know, th- this crew here that you will profit works across industries and certainly brings learnings from industries into healthcare. This crew here, uh, Priya, Paul, and Jeff are the leadership of our healthcare vertical. So that's where we spend most of our time. And, uh, but we define it broadly. So we work with clients across the healthcare ecosystem, which quite frankly, I think is really what makes it fun for us and exciting for us because the, the solutions to healthcare probably come across the silos, providers, payers, life sciences, technologies, you know, versus depth in one. And, and you know, it's a, it's a privilege for us to support clients across the healthcare. Yeah, thanks for digging into that a little bit more. I think it's important to realize that that's likely one of the reasons why your team is able to identify these patterns is because you're not looking at just one side of the ecosystem. And I don't think we can learn enough from that that pattern, quite frankly. So, so thank you for that. Okay, so let's dig in. Uh, we've got a, we've got a couple more here to go. This next one, I think Priya, you're taking the lead on this one. It's about behavioral health and how it's evolving to be a standard workforce benefit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm actually thinking back to what Paul said at the beginning of this call about needing me time at the beginning of the day. And um, something I've started to do is is use Headspace. And I love it. I love the app. I re- kind of use it religiously every morning. And it just got me thinking, you know, it, mental health and behavioral health have evolved so much past kind of thinking of it as just the in-person therapy visit. You've got Talkspace, you've got Sanvelo, you have uh, things like Headspace. So you're hitting meditation, cognitive behavioral therapy, text-based therapy. And we're starting to see those enter the benefits plans that are being offered by major employers. So it's not enough really to just have the EAP anymore that takes you right to, all right, here's an in-person therapy session or six sessions or what have you. It comes with this suite now of you know additional solutions around that because mental health or behavioral health, it's not just one kind of you know end of a spectrum. It, there's multifaceted needs along that spectrum. And you've got to be able to cater to all of those things. And they've really come to be, you know, greater awareness of that, I think, in this during COVID and and hopefully post-COVID time. I like that. I think about, you know, almost all the disruptors that I know that are going after sort of the direct-to-employer market, almost all of them have some type of behavioral health or even addiction component to them, which I think is a massive signal in the market that this thing is, you know, blowing up, so to speak. The other thing I've noticed too, even just, you know, talking to friends is... COVID made people realize that they're mentally more fragile than they could have ever imagined. And I'll be honest, like it made me realize that just not being connected socially to the people I used to be and being a little bit isolated. You know, I thought I was okay, yeah. uh, but didn't realize yeah. just you know how much even the strongest of us who we think are strong need these supports. And so I have a whole new appreciation for that entire space. That's, that's well said, Zane. I would say, you know, kind of my... There's a slightly cynical perspective that says organizations do things when their short-term and long-term incentives start to line up and point in the same direction, right? Mm. I think it's been true and there's increasingly studies that show long-term investment in behavioral health is good for everybody, right? Reduce the cost of care, make more effective and loyal employees, et cetera, right? But that, that's betting on a long-term kind of you know, investment that sometimes is hard to make, right? When you don't see short-term results. I think you put that together with the talent war that's undergoing, right? And all of a sudden the ability, they all of a sudden now they'll start to line up. I know this is good for me long-term. I can see short-term benefits from doing this. Our prediction is those things together are going to help tip. And that's where we're going to see this really go from being a growing slowly trend to really mm-hmm. turbocharging in 2022. I think you're spot on. All right. Next on the list, pharma. What a year or, or what a couple year they've had. 
And so curious to see, you know, what your all's predictions are around pharma and data unification um, in the industry. Yeah, this is an exciting shift. I think for a long time, and this is a very U.S.-centric topic, a lot of these have okay. a, a little bit of a center of gravity around the U.S., but so much of our data, and there's no shortage of healthcare data, has been locked up in these little silos and pockets, whether it's pharmacy data, claims data, EMR data, and then it's grouped by that business. What we're seeing is with pharma's need now for real-world evidence, real-world data for both drug development, commercialization, et cetera, it's become more mainstream. And the sidecar that we'll talk to a little bit around health equity, the need to collect and integrate large amounts of data for research has become key, which is finally driving a demand for what we'll call a data market that's helping drive more portability to the data. Now, the funny thing about the word portability is that's what the P stands for in HIPAA. And somewhere along the line, HIPAA rolled out and people thought the P stood for privacy. And either way, it was never intended to be anti-sharing. But for the longest time, we've had data out there and people saying, can we use that data? Well, you know HIPAA. Like, well, tell me more because apparently <laughs> I don't, but it's always been about portability. So we're now seeing HIPAA being used for privacy, but still ensuring good portability of data and usage of data, which is going to allow us to do a lot more in terms of around the clinical research, around the patient experience. And what we found out during this pandemic, a lot better visibility into the U.S. healthcare system. And a lot of that's just spurring from that RWD and RWE space because we are been starving to drive greater unification and data for years now. So that's the catalyst that we're excited to see and, and the ripple effect that's going to cause. I think the only thing I'd add here is that, well, two things. One is that uh, every one of our clients is trying to talk about how they can win with data, right? Sure. Most won't because, right, in the end, someone's going to win and become the dominant force. Or not one person, but there'll be multiple, but certainly not, not everybody. But the fact that it's not everyone's agenda is, I think, telling. I think the other thing that's been clear for years is that Pharma, at least when it comes to patients, has been data poor. They have the rich data and the discovery process and the development process, but then upon commercialization, they're they're well behind. So I think part of what we think is coming is the move, pharma making a move, right? They have uh, they've been data poor, but they have the increasingly have the incentive through different reimbursement. They increase they have the margins to support it, and we think that's uh, it's it, it's this is the year that we see the move made. Yeah, you'll see some interesting moves with the big pharma distributors. So keep an eye on McKesson, Cardinal, and Amerisource Borgen because they've got a lot of good specialty pharma data. You're seeing the EMR companies pivot in that space. But the giants to really watch and see where they're moving, that's going to be Komodo, IQV, and Datavan. will be fun to watch in the next year or two. Definitely noted. I'll keep that on my list. I'll be honest, pharmaceuticals isn't always something I completely understand how it all works. It just seems like such a black box to me. That and revenue cycle, I've not spent a whole lot of time studying. Okay. Last but not least, and this topic looks really interesting, this prediction around ESG and it becoming an increasingly uncomfortable topic for healthcare. Tell us about that, Priya. For sure. So, you know, the trend here is really, if you think back to 2020, ESG was really sort of like a feel-good topic then. And we had a lot of healthcare heroes that we were applauding that year, rightfully so. And there were conversations getting started about access to care and health Mm -hmm. equity. But 
two years later, it's time to show results. And sure. it's our belief that, you know, senior executives across health systems, across pharma, across payers are going to be asked, why have equity and access not improved more in the wake of the pandemic and sort of how they're orienting, you know, their purpose? So this purpose-led sort of transformation has become really integral for a lot of our clients. In a space like this, it's just so tough to increase health health equity. Thin margins, startups might start to deliver some of that innovation. But when you're a large firm in this space, you're going to be challenged to walk the walk. A good example is uh, of a firm that's kind of making the moves is Common Spirit Health. Mm. They uh, they made a commitment, I believe, to reach net zero on their emissions by 2040. And I think, as we all know, carbon emissions from healthcare actually represent about 5% of worldwide total. So there's a lot of room for improvement. So we're seeing some companies start to walk the walk. And if they're not yet, I think they will be asked to. I will intentionally not name any names here. But you know, one of the things that almost makes me laugh, and I try to laugh only on the inside, Sometimes, regardless of the issue, there's always someone that says, yeah, but what about health equity? And everyone nods, yes, absolutely, right? But I think there's a need. I think this is the year where at least the progressive organizations, the leading organizations, actually define that specifically for their organization, come up with their own unique take on how they're going to lead in health equity, what it means to their organization. And they're going to narrow it down. They're going to be specific if they're going to be successful. I think we're going to see that start to happen, at least in pockets this year. Yeah, I used to pick on the whenever you saw a firm's value and you saw fun as the last value, you know it's not a fun place to work. <laughs> health equity is kind of that same thing. It's like we do this and do this and health equity. And it's like, oh, that's going to blow up on you guys. It's just going to yeah. blow up. Yeah. So this topic is interesting to me, especially being a Canadian and health systems in Canada are funded different. They strategic plan differently. And I just wonder at what point here in the US, you know, will this whole discussion of equity actually make it down to the strategic planning level? Because so many of our health systems, whether they're willing to admit it or not, their first level of decision making is where is their good payer mix? Like where can people pay for our services? And then what is the epidemiological need that we can then sell in those literally those zip codes? So to me, until we are willing to talk about that and maybe find new funding models, work with government and policy to figure that piece out, you fundamentally will never have truly equitable health systems until that's figured out. And I'm not proposing I have the idea to fix it, but just calling it out is something that I've certainly witnessed in my career to date. It's 100% the dimension. It's when you try to take something that wasn't designed to deliver health equity and reverse yes. engineer it. We're seeing better results in the startup space of people taking on health equity challenges and wrapping innovation and businesses around that. Mm -hmm. The other one is going to be a lot of activists. We're, mine that I'm watching right now is in the pharmacy space. It's the hashtag pizza is not working, where you've got activists going, we've got exhausted pharmacists and the cute balloons outside front is not enough for them to hold on. How are we actually rethinking the role and career of pharmacy, pharmacy techs? Mm. When you've got some activists going in there and really pushing at the bigger pharmacy players in there, and I know a lot of people on that player, they're not, they're not evil people. They're trying to do the right thing. But between kind of starting with the health equity first or activists getting very loud in creating a lot of momentum for more organizations to react to that. But Zane, your points are spot on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying Canada is even better. It's just different. Like they have a lot of work to do. But when I first started in the US, I'm like, holy smokes, this is so different. Like I knew it'd be different, but it just, it struck me wrong, I guess. It took a minute. <laughs> 
as we come to a close here, I just want to give everyone uh, one more chance to share with us what's the best place to to connect with you, and then remind us of the name of the the new podcast and where people can find that. Yeah, it's Healthcare Transformers is the podcast coming out from the Profit team. You can find us on Profit.com or on LinkedIn. Uh, Paul Shrimp, Priya Naja, and Jeff Gorgi. Fantastic. Zane, thanks for, for leading us through this as well. This has been a blast. So we've learned so much. This is the whole point of this. Share some provocative thinking. That's just kind of the way we put it. Get us thinking again. Get us thinking in a different way. Help us break down the old ways that we have thought about things. And all the topics you guys just walked us through are, are uh, terrific. I want to uh, thank you again for giving us some time. Stay safe, stay well, and all the best in everything you have going on. And, and thanks again for joining us today. A pleasure. Thanks thank for having so much. us. Very enjoyable. Do, definitely do it again. Had a great time. Hey, thanks again for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app. Then tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check out the latest show. In fact, it's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at Shift.Health, where all 35 podcasts and video series are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thank you.